So I met Grace in 2006. I had the privilege of being her pastor for nine years. She was a small, spry, bright-eyed little woman, and I met her in my weekly Bible study class. She was easy to get to know. She was delightful in every way. And before long, I learned that her tall, handsome husband of 48 years, an Air Force officer and prisoner of war survivor, had Alzheimer's, and that now in her 70s, she was his primary caregiver, his transporter, the keeper of their home. I also learned that her only child, a daughter, lived a thousand miles away a heavy load for a woman of her age. It's a blessing, she would say. She was a southern woman, don't you know? It's a blessing. It's a blessing to be together. It's a blessing to be in our own home. It's a blessing to have friends and a loving church. It's a blessing. I was there when the time came for her to move her beloved to a care facility. It's a blessing to find a great place, she said. And when she fell in her home and broke her hip, it was a blessing to be able to rehab in the same facility where her husband was. And when it came time to sell their wonderful family home, and when she had her first heart attack, and when her daughter, a thousand miles away, went on my speed dial, and when her beloved husband died and we had to plan his funeral, you know what Grace said, right? It's a blessing. It's a blessing to have good medical care. It's a blessing to have my pastor and my daughter in cahoots with each other. It's a blessing to have Jesus as my rock and salvation. It's a blessing to believe in the resurrection. According to the pastor who took my place in that church in Dallas, Grace was moved to an assisted living facility about 10 months ago, a thousand miles away from her beloved home and all of her friends and her church, but very close, of course, to her daughter. And, of course, as she said goodbye, and she told her pastor, you know, it's a blessing. Now, I want you to understand that Grace is far from simple-minded, and she's not ignorant of pain and suffering. No, Grace doesn't litter her relationships and her days with platitudes or empty sentiment. No, Grace actually means what she says. She is hands down the most grateful person I have the privilege to know, and she is my hero. This morning, as our nation and our families turn the corner on Thanksgiving weekend and rush headlong into Christmas, I invite you to pause with me for a while to consider gratitude, to consider its true character, to consider its spiritual content, to consider its transformative power. Catholic spiritual writer Henry Nouwen wrote, to be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy. But to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes and failures, the rewards and rejections, that 
requires hard spiritual work. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. That's the hard spiritual work of gratitude. And grace has done that hard spiritual work. She has claimed the fullness of her being, the fullness of her life, all of it, as a gracious gift from God. For over a decade, I have struggled to do the same. Struggled to keep my emotions in check, to keep my attitude in check, to keep my resentments and disappointments from spiraling into negativity that is frankly unbecoming of a follower of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, it's tough. In fact, if you don't mind me saying, it is sometimes exhausting, right? Does anyone agree with me about that? Okay. So this morning, I want to offer to you Jesus' teaching. When I'm having trouble, that's the place I start. And this isn't a teaching that impacts me the most, that helps me in the hard spiritual work of gratitude. You heard Teresa read it just a few minutes ago, comes from the Sermon on the Mount. There Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink, about your body and what you're going to wear. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. Now let me give you a suggestion. When you are facing someone who's very anxious, these words do not help, okay? <laughs> but this is what Jesus said. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field because God cares for them. God gives them food. God gives them shelter and bright, beautiful color. And God cares even more for you. So, says Jesus, stop your anxiety. Stop your worry. God knows what you need, says Jesus. Seek God's kingdom, God's reality, God's provision, and your human concerns will be met. That's Jesus' message. Seek God's kingdom, God's reality, God's provision, and your human concerns will be met. Stop worrying. Don't feed your anxiety. Trust God. Now, this is a really important teaching of Jesus, one that I know you have heard spoken in sermon and Bible study over and over again. But this morning, I invite you to look just a little bit closer. Look at the choice that must be made here. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek first to see yourself as God's beloved. Seek first to see your life, all of your life, as a gift from God. Then, then everything else falls in place. Friends, the hard spiritual work of gratitude begins with a choice. 
The hard spiritual work of gratitude begins with single-minded focus on the right thing. Now, I hadn't been married very long before I discovered that there's a big difference between the way my husband and I process information and tackle challenges. Like many women I know, I tend to work on three things at a time. Multitasking, right? Not my husband. No, Al, like some other men, I guess, is single-minded. He focuses on one task or project at a time. He'll take that project, he'll look at it from every angle, he'll examine it, he'll plan for it, he'll hammer out the details. Then and only then will he execute his plan. Don't try and confuse him or bring other issues up. No, one thing at a time. That's Al's motto. Well, yesterday, Al volunteered to clean the bathroom. I was away, and when I got home, I went into the bathroom and I almost passed out. There was stuff everywhere, piles of stuff all over the bedroom and the bathroom. Stuff I didn't recognize, stuff I hadn't seen in years. What was going on here? And that's when I recognized that this was the stuff from our bathroom cabinets. And there it was in these neat little piles. They were just waiting for me to decide whether to keep or give away, right? You see, Al had gone to the bathroom cabinet to get the cleaning supplies, and guess what he found? He found a mess. Surprise, surprise. And so, he spent the afternoon straightening the cabinets, pitching out old medicines and stuff. I have to tell you, this isn't exactly what I had in mind when I said clean the bathroom, right? But Al assures me that this is part of the plan, right? That this is the important first step to having a clean bathroom. I'm really looking forward to the part where the Lysol gets applied to the toilet. <clears throat> but Al is focused. He has priorities. He has a plan. And he's carrying it out. Focus and priorities. Now, I love to make fun of my husband and the way that he just focuses on one thing at a time. And I really, and y'all know this about me, I love to brag about how I can do so many things at once, right? But the truth, one of us has a lot less anxiety and stress in their life. Can you guess which one? And one of us has more difficulty with gratitude. Can you guess which one? Make your one thing, your first thing, God's kingdom, God's provision, God's reality, says Jesus. It's a choice you can make, says Jesus. It's a choice that makes all the difference. The Apostle Paul says the same thing over and over again. In Philippians 4, he says, I know the secret. I know the secret of being content in all things, I know how to be a beloved child of God in every circumstance. And then he instructs, if anything is good, if anything is true, if anything is just or honorable, think on these things. It's a choice, my friends. Gratitude is a choice. Trust in Jesus is a choice. And we are called to make the right choice 
day after day after day. In her recent book entitled Gratitude, religious writer Diana Butler Bass writes about some researchers who are studying grateful people. And as they did this study, these researchers developed a metaphor, and it's a metaphor that I have found very helpful. I hope you'll find it helpful as well, because as they studied people's gratitude or ingratitude, as they looked at the many, many human beings that were part of their study, they labeled the difficulties and the advantages of these people as headwinds and tailwinds. I love this. Headwinds and tailwinds. Headwinds were the disadvantages that people encounter in their life. And what I love about the metaphor is you can't always see a headwind, can't you? Can you? But you sure can feel it when it hits you. It's the obstacles that get in our way, some internal, some external, as we go through life. Headwinds. Tailwinds are the opposite. Tailwinds are those advantages that we naturally have as we go through life. And our, headwind, our tailwinds can be things like our education, our wealth, our innate abilities and gifts, and the advantages that we might have had from the family that we were born in. But here's what the researchers found, and I think this is so very true. They found that their subjects, people like you and I, tend to pay more attention to the headwinds in their life, right? Because they're hard to overcome. Some people even kind of take great pride in how many headwinds they've overcome, but we ignore the tailwinds of our lives because we've adjusted to the advantage. We ignore the tailwinds because we've adjusted to the advantage. We've adjusted to the advantage of having come from good homes or from education or from our resources or from our natural abilities. Diana Butler Bass concludes that grateful people are those who stay in touch with, who notice and acknowledge the tailwinds of their life. They realize they have the advantage of education or resources or natural talents, that they have the advantage of a place of nurture and safety, friendships and the like. They stay open to the tailwind of their faith and their trust in God, so that no matter what the headwind of the moment, right, those invisible forces, advantages, and blessings are not ignored or devalued. For Christians, for us as a church, the most important tailwind that we must not ignore, the tailwind that carries us through all things, is our Savior Jesus Christ, through whom we can do all things, according to the Apostle Paul, through whom we have life everlasting. And that tailwind is what we are to share with the whole world. When you choose to focus on that, everything becomes a blessing. Friends, in the words of Diana Butler Bass, we can choose to believe we are autonomous beings in complete command of our own lives, reliant upon no one and nothing 
but ourselves, and many will make that choice. We can choose to focus on our failures and our losses, on what we feel entitled to or what we deserve, and many will make that choice. We can choose anger, fear, resentment, grief, hubris, or pain. We can choose to live our lives stuck in our worst moments. We can choose to define life as a zero-sum game. We can choose every negative philosophy, theology, or ideology that cuts us off from grace. And we can choose to think that there is no one and nothing to thank. Yes, we have a choice. And we can prioritize and we can focus on every headwind that comes our way. And that is a desperate, negative way to live. Or, or we can choose to prioritize and focus on the tailwind of God's power, God's mercy, and God's love. We can choose to prioritize and focus upon the tailwind of our salvation in Jesus Christ. We can choose gratitude. So as this Thanksgiving weekend comes to a close and the holiday season just comes crashing in on us, I suggest that we stop giving thanks. That instead, we choose thanks every day, in every circumstance, in every blessing. Amen.